Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and our improvisers bring them to life. Our, our podcast is a little different. We still have storytellers share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I am super duper stoked about my guest here with me today. Allison Cochran, she, her, is a former high school English teacher and a current writer of queer love stories, including her debut novel, The Charm Offensive. She lives outside of Portland, Oregon, with her giant dog and vast collection of brightly colored books. You can find her online at AllisonCochran.com or on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Cochran. Allison, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, it's a true pleasure. I'm so excited to be here too. How are you doing? Oh, I am doing okay. I am three weeks out from my second book um, releasing into the world. And so it's a pretty busy, uh, chaotic time. But um, right now I'm really enjoying it. So what is it that's... Um... I mean, I got a sneak peek. I got to read the book and I can't wait to talk to you about it. But what does it feel like releasing a, you know what? I'm going to save that question for later. (laughs) I want to spend more time on it than just a quick chit chat in the beginning. Um, So let's, let's do this. We all have multiple coming out stories. We have multiple coming into ourselves stories. Um, And I would love to hear one of those stories that that you're comfortable sharing with us today. Yeah. I mean, obviously I knew you were going to ask this question um, because it is the name of the podcast. uh, And I like knew that I should prepare how I was going to explain my coming out story. And yet, as I like thought about it while driving around town um, in the days leading up to this, I just have such a hard time, like putting it into a succinct story. Um, I didn't come out. Like I did not officially come out for the first time um, until I was 33 and I'm 35 now. Um, so my, my public coming out is a pretty recent thing um, in my life. But, uh, you know, I think like a lot of like femme sapphics who were raised in the world of like compulsive heterosexuality, like um, it took me a really long time to figure out that I was gay, um, even though I should have known all along from from little baby Allison having a crush on Jasmine from Aladdin to um, still now at age 35, being able to tell you like exactly what Amy Jo Johnson was wearing in the movie, uh, the Disney Channel original movie, Susie Q, even though I couldn't tell you a single other thing about that, but like I can (laughs) picture Amy Jo Johnson in that dress, like perfectly. Um, And so, yeah, so I think my, my coming out story spans a lot of years and a lot of time. Um, I think one of the the hardest moments of my my coming out, um, I was 30 and it was the first time I had just started seeing a new therapist. Um, and I, I wanted to work on relationship issues because I was a 30 year old woman who had never been in a serious relationship with a man, um, and kept dating men, even though I hated it. And, um, and so I, I tried to come out basically to, to that therapist by just saying like, you know, telling her my romantic history and being like, and I think maybe there's a chance I could be bisexual. Um, and that therapist's response was, oh, no, no, no. You just need to keep waiting for, for the perfect man, right? It's good to have mm. high standards. Um, let's, let's make a list uh, of your ideal man. Um, and I never went back to that therapist, obviously, because that was, uh, that was pretty traumatic. Um, and it took until three years later, I found um, my queer therapist, who I'm still seeing now. And like right after my first session with them, um, I felt so comfortable and accepted. I, I came out to my sister that same day. Um, and so, yeah, therapy is awesome when it's the right fit. And I yeah, highly recommend finding a queer therapist. 
Yeah, me too. Wow. Thank you for sharing. I, um, first of all, just the, the mention of Amy Jo Johnson is so, <laughs> so good. Pink, pink Power Ranger. <laughs> yeah, I clearly was obsessed and just had no idea. But like, as I was, I started journaling, like, could I be gay? Let's look at the evidence. Mm. And it was like that image of Amy Jo Johnson from when I was like eight years old um, seemed like pretty good evidence. Yeah. So I'm so curious, like when you were like in these moments of curiosity and journaling, were there any, any feeling, what were, what, I guess, instead of planting feelings in your, (laughs) (laughs) what were you feeling? What did it, what were you thinking about the possibility of being a queer person? Well, I, and so I think one of the reasons it was really hard for me to, to figure out that I'm a lesbian is that, um, you know, despite the fact I, I grew up in an environment pre-college where like, I didn't really understand that queerness was an option. Um, but once I, I went off to college, um, I had a ton of queer friends, like my, my best friend in the whole world is queer. And like, I went along her um, coming out journey throughout college with her. Um, you know, and I, I was a high school teacher who was a huge advocate for queer students. I briefly ran our, our GSA, um, and, you know, was a, a plate, like a safe space for all, for all of our LGBTQ students. And so I was like, well, I can't, I can't be queer because if I were queer, I would know. Um, because like, I have been exposed to the community in all these ways. Like I've worked with um, as an ally in all these ways. Um, and I didn't realize that like, you know, being an ally is the gateway to discovering that you were actually queer in, in a lot of contexts. But, um, and so for me, it was a lot of just kind of self-doubt that I could possibly be gay and not know that about myself um, as I was starting to do this work. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, was there something specific that your therapist, the the good therapist, the queer <laughs> therapist said that kind of clicked for you? Or was it more like you sharing and them just you know, receiving in an affirming way? Um, well, I had had one other bad therapy experience where I had had gone to a therapist who I knew was queer, um, but didn't necessarily specialize in, in working with, with queer people. Um, and that had also gone really horribly when I tried to explain to that therapist that like, I knew I wasn't straight, but like, I was having a really hard time with it. And, like, I couldn't figure out why I was having a hard time with it. And, um, you know, that had been a a really negative experience as well. And it ended with, you know, her saying she couldn't help me, um, and me feeling Mm. like I was this freak for, for not knowing these things about myself. Um, and then when I went to my first session with my, my current therapist, Karen, who is the absolute greatest human, um, they just like really affirmed that it's okay to not know at 33, um, about your sexuality. And they just like really made me feel valid in where I was in that journey and, and feeling like I knew I wasn't straight, but I didn't know what that meant. Um, right. And, and all of the kind of unpacking I needed to do of why it was so hard for me to know that about myself. Um, and they just, yeah, they, they were just like, you're that's, this happens all the time. I, you know, and like, just, I needed to hear that. Um, Cause I felt like I was coming out so quote unquote late in life. Um, and they really made me feel, feel seen in that moment. I'm so glad you found, you said Karen. Yes. They're the best. I'll always sing Karen's praises. Amazing. I'm so glad you found them. I, yeah. Therapy. I remember, yeah. Therapists are so make or break. And that's, what's so scary is like, especially if, if, if you're not someone who's maybe aware of certain things, taking it for, you know, you know, if you would have not felt bad after that first therapy session and being like, oh yeah, I just really, I haven't found the right man. That would, I feel like that would just set you back. So like set, could set someone back so far. Um, but it's really scary. I saw a therapist in high school and like in the first session, she was like, do you want to talk about how you're gay? I was in high school and I was like, you know, Columbus, Ohio, and this was in like the early 2000s. And I was like, 
mortified and just I left I did I left the session I didn't say I don't even think I spoke um and that was so hard because it was like for me I for me it was my queerness I've known forever like knew at least my sexual orientation was not straight um didn't quite understand that I was also struggling with gender identity um but for someone who I didn't know to the first thing they say to me is I see you which, you know, now it's like, I want people to see me, but then mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to be seen. <laughs> and that was no. too yeah. much. It was way too much. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, Cause I went through a long phase of not wanting to be seen. And like, I didn't go to therapy for like 13 years because I knew that if I went to therapy, I would have to talk about my sexuality. And I was like, no, I'm just going to keep ignoring it. Keep not looking at it. Keep working like 70 hours a week. So I don't have to think about it. Yeah, that's very familiar. I also, um, I have friends and people as part of the thank you for coming out community who also have come into themselves later in life. And, you know, just, you know, we're dating, dating men and just like, it's not working. Why isn't it working? And then just having this realization or having just either a realization of a different identity and, or maybe, maybe I should just be a little bit more open and see what that brings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, and I'm curious um, your thoughts on this around like how, like you had said earlier um, something like you should have known because of like, you mm-hmm. know, the, this whole hindsight, you know, mm-hmm. that whole deal. Um, and those, I feel like the shoulds are what really mess us up. Oh, my therapist would be so mad at me for saying that. Yeah. Like there's no should (laughs) I, I, you, everyone's on their own journey to understanding themselves. And like, I just needed more time, um, to kind of get to that, that place. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like there's so much societal expectation on knowing who we are as early as possible. And just like, but that's just not how life works. It's like, I feel like a lot of things are a play. A lot of it is societal expectations and pressures to be a certain way because our society is built to support only certain people. Um, But also it doesn't allow for flexibility. It doesn't allow for growth and evolution and how we, how we relate to ourselves and other people is like, is time like dependent, meaning like, where are we in our lives I feel like it's physical location. I feel like there's so many factors and um, to kind of put like restraints on when, when these things are supposed to happen and that you're inherently wrong or bad for doing it out of line or, you know, the timeline just makes me so upset. Yeah. But it was a lot of that, like pressure to have already known and that those expectations that I had really that were coming, I think mostly from myself, Mm -hmm. um, that I had to be able to work through in order to, to be on that journey. And like, uh, it was also hard for me because I, I genuinely didn't know as I first started questioning my sexuality, like what I was, you know, I didn't know how to identify it. I was like, I don't think I'm straight, but I have no idea. Um, what that means for myself, um, because I've never let myself admit being attracted to women. Um, and I'm also on the asexual spectrum. And so that factored in too, into how I like needed to process like what it meant for me to admit that I wasn't straight and like what that could look like. And so, um, I had to live in that uncertainty for, for a long time until I felt comfortable with you know, the label that I assume, which is that I'm a lesbian and I'm demisexual. Um, but also knowing that those labels could change. Those are kind of just the labels that are working for me right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I love that there's like beauty in that, that those words can change as we learn more about ourselves and how we relate to the world. Um, I'm wondering, can you, um, tell us what demisexual means to you? Oh yeah, of course. Um, so for, for me, uh, well, I think like textbook wise, the, mm-hmm. the definition of dummy sexuality, um, is just not being able to experience sexual attraction, um, without a deep emotional connection first. Um, and for me, that really means that, um, I first dates are tough. I'm often not attracted to people like when I first meet them. Um, and I don't, um, uh, 
it's hard for me to experience sexual desire. Um, and not just, you know, because I was dating men and I was like, Oh, I hate this. Um, but then, you know, I started dating women and it was still difficult for me, um, to kind of make that sexual connection despite my, um, despite a romantic connection. And so for me, it's really just about developing trust and like safety and, uh, emotional vulnerability before, um, before the sexual attraction can come. Yeah. Thank you for, yeah. I said to you, like, what does it mean to you? Because not everyone knows the textbook definition. And also, you know, sometimes the way that people define words for themselves is different than the textbook's definition. Totally. So, So I appreciate both for sure. Um, I, I'm going to share something with you and all of our listeners that I don't, I've never said out loud before to anybody. And it kind of was starting to crystallize as I was reading Kiss Her Once for Me. And I've been thinking about it a lot, which is I also think I'm demisexual. And I uh, used to all and am, have a drinking problem. I'm, I've been sober for more than two years, had, had a drinking problem. Um, but I think alcohol for me kind of uh masked that and I was just like because I had no inhibitions and I was just like you know drunk I could move past the discomfort and the like I don't want to do this into I'm drunk so I'm going to do this um and so now that I don't have alcohol as a like escape or push or crutch or whatever it is dating is really has been really challenging for me and I think now having this new understanding um is going to help me navigate that a little bit better so thank you for sharing and and holding space for me to share (laughs) yeah thank you for sharing with me and for for telling us that um for the first time because that's like that's pretty special um I, I totally understand and relate to the part about alcohol as well and like how many drinks I would have to have to be on a date. And, um, and so I I completely understand that. Um, and I think it does come with some challenges. Like I have a friend who's also demisexual and was starting like online dating. Um, and just the the pressure of like a hookup culture and to move really fast was, was really strong, like a challenge for them. Um, because they, they have to have that. They have to spend time just like you know, they're almost looking for friendship first. Um, and then like they can move on to like a romantic and sexual connection after. Um, and I think that that can be just hard sometimes with the expectations around like modern dating. Um, but I also think it can be lovely and beautiful. And, um, I, so my first book, I don't know if you've read my first book, The Charm Offensive. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the character in that also discovers that he is demisexual throughout the course of the book. Um, and I, I went on a first date with my current fiance, um, and like casually mentioned I was an author, but like thought she didn't have my full name. So she could never look up my book, but she had like closed out my tab. Um, and so she did have my full name and immediately read, um, my, my first book and like experienced, uh, Charlie's journey with understanding his demisexuality or being on the asexual spectrum. Um, and that was all stuff she kind of knew then, um, sneakily, she felt very guilty about it. Um, <laughs> before, you know, as we started dating stuff that I would not have shared right away. Um, and like she, the way that our relationship was able to unfold and the emotional, like deep emotional connection we were able to form, um, because of that was, was beautiful and perfect. So. Well, I love that. And I have, I've not written a book, but I do bear my soul in these episodes. And mm-hmm. so, um, I, you know, that's good to know that maybe someone out there is listening and then, you know, it's, <laughs> I think it's, I, I think it taught me that being willing to like share, you know, and be vulnerable in that way can also help you develop that emotional connection that I think, you know, that we need. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I did forget that Charlie is on the A spectrum. And so maybe that was part of the beginning of my <laughs> awakening of reading of reading the charm offensive and then kiss her once for me. So okay, so let's let's talk about 
your books. I okay. um, loved both of them dearly. And I specifically loved Kiss Her Ones for Me dearlier. And I don't know why, <laughs> but I think, well, I think here's, here's why I think. One, the, the writing style and how you wrote feel they both, they felt very different. And for me, Kiss Her Once for me was like, well, first of all, I had just visited Portland. So it was like such a love letter to Portland. And, um, and I love that. But I think it was just, um, I don't know, like the way that the characters speak is more the way that I talk. And so I, I felt instantly like part of that world. Um, Ariel, Disney, pun intended. But um, <laughs> um, even though you said Jasmine. Uh, but anyways, um, so I... Both were incredible and I love both, which is why I love Charm Offensive. That's why I started following you. Here we are. Um, but uh, let me find a question in here for you. Or I could just, yeah, or I could just, I could just, you talk can just keep you complimenting <laughs> me. That's fine. That works for me too. I mean, I could. Um, I was scared that I was scaring you away in my emails. Me oh my gosh. <laughs> all caps. I all. love this book. I can't put it down. Um, Not at all. Okay, good. So kind. So, Okay, so actually one one thing I want to start with that the the themes that came up in both books are um, around mental health and anxiety, um, which I think in both books were handled so lovingly and caringly and authentically. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that. Yeah, I mean, that's a big, another big thank you to Karen on that one. Um, so I, when I wrote Charm Offensive, my first book um, to be published, I didn't sit down at all with the intention of writing about mental health. Um, but I, my concept was I want to like create this world in which someone like me would go on a show like The Bachelor and like, why would that happen? and What would go down? Um, and so I, I really liked the idea and I was writing really fast. So I wasn't really thinking about any of the decisions that I put into the story. And about halfway through, I realized it was mostly about mental health. Like, um, I think even in that first draft, like it was more of a mental health story than it was even a love story. Um, and I think that was just kind of organically, like what needed to come out of me at that time. Um, I've you know, lived with generalized anxiety disorder and like depression, um, you know, since I was like a wee nine-year-old. Um, and spent most of my, my adolescence doing a lot of work around that. Um, and then again, I I turned 18 and just suddenly like did not want to go to therapy for a very long time. Um, you know, because there were things that I I didn't want to work on anymore. And, um, that was not healthy for me, but it is what I did for, for that stretch of time. And then, um, I think in a lot of ways, writing charm offensive, helped me like I wrote it before I went back to therapy and then was like oh I have to get into therapy um and so yeah I think that really shaped the revision process and then with kiss her once for me I was like oh I can't write about mental health again I was like oh yes I can I can do whatever I want like mental health is always going to be important to me it's always going to be like a pretty inextricable part of my identity and experiences and it's I don't really know what to do with characters who don't, um, yeah, who don't experience mental health struggles. Yeah. What, uh, just help me, what was the timeline of you starting to write Charm Offensive and it coming to the world? Um, I started it in June of 2019 and I wrote the first draft of it in, in six days. It was like a very wild, like didn't shower or feed myself appropriately little, period of time. Um, and then I, I revised it for a couple months, queried agents, got an agent in November of 2019, um, sold it to Atria in, uh, what is that? Uh, April of 2020 or June of 2020. Um, and then it came out September of 2021. So it was about a two year period from when I wrote it to when it came out. And where were you on your coming out journey? I can't remember um, timeline wise. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. I wrote the charm offensive before I had come out to anyone. Um, writing the charm offensive, I think in a lot of ways was me writing my coming out um, and writing uh, about a character who is questioning their sexuality. Um, and so that, that book really helped me come out. Um, it still took a while, 
technically the first person I ever came out to was my agent. Um, mm. but, uh, then I you know, had to do some work before I felt ready to, to tell everyone in my life, even though I am incredibly fortunate and I, I live just outside of Portland, Oregon. I have a very, you know, progressive group of friends and a very progressive family. And so I had, there was no risk in me coming out um, that it would in any way impact how the people in my life viewed me or my, my interpersonal relationships. And it was still really challenging. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's, it is. I don't know. Just, yes. Yeah. Just <laughs> lots of yes, yes, yes. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember I came out to my sister. She was the first person I came out to. No, that's not true. That is not true. <laughs> I came out to my friend, came out to my best friend, Dolce first. My sister was the second person I came out to. And I remember telling, I remember saying it to her and then feeling who and her best friend is gay. And so I like, that was another, like, there's no risk here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like people react differently when it's your family. And I was mm-hmm. like, is that going to be a thing? Or um, something that I realized in that moment and telling her was now that I've like, now that I'm telling people, I have to like do it, you know, like I have to like be the thing I'm coming out as, you know, quote unquote. And that to me was almost even scarier than keeping it so close versus like, okay, now I actually actually have to like live in the world as an openly queer person. That feels really hard. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely risk, all different kinds of risks. Yeah. Um, okay. So um so what do you what do you think it is about writing that can help people process identity or uh you know just you know journaling is so therapeutic like what do you think it is about writing that is that I don't I I don't know um for other people writing has always been a huge part of my life um like when young Allison started dealing with mental health issues like very young um like I would, all I did was write. Um, and I, I would write stories that helped me process my feelings. I would never, I didn't journal at all at that time. Um, but I just loved writing stories that were both an escape and also a chance to like talk about my feelings, but in a way that felt very safe and distant. And like, that's not me. That's some other character who just happens to look like me. Um, and so that provided that, that sense of comfort and safety and sharing those things. Um, but incidentally, like I spent most of, of high school and college uh, writing a YA fantasy novel um, that in no way helped me process any of my feelings. Like it was pure escapism. Um, it was centered on like a very hetero love story. Um, and, and so I think it was interesting for me um, to discover that writing charm and writing about queerness felt so different um, in terms of the ways that I was able to be honest with myself on paper. Yeah. How, how, and how has, I guess Kiss Runs for Me isn't out yet. So we don't quite know what the reception is, is, but I'm sure it's going to be warm and amazing, but how has it been for Charm Offensive? Have readers reached out to you and said they've seen themselves in your characters? Like how, how has that been? Yeah. I think actually the, I didn't expect that to be the the best part about publishing a book um, was that um, I had people in my DMs all the time um, sharing their experiences, um, you know, because that book has, um, you know, it deals with, with mental health. I would get a lot of messages about people and their mental health journeys and, you know, wanting to be healthy. I would, uh, or just seeing themselves reflected and seeing their struggles reflected um, I would get a ton of messages from people who were on the ACE spectrum. Um, and then also the, you know, Charlie in the book has OCD and is, is neurodivergent. And so, um, yeah, it was just a lot of people who would reach out and be like, oh, this made me feel worthy of love. And, mm. uh, that is to me, like, I can't believe I get to do that for people. Um, what a dream job. Um, you know, and especially because that's, that's such an integral theme, um, to charm is, is these two people, um, accepting that they are deserving of the love that they want. That's so beautiful. I love that. I, I get similar messages and responses from 
my podcast and my social media. And it really is such a affirming and like lovely side effect, I guess, of, of putting out vulnerable stuff, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And I think one thing that, um, because like I was so new in my own coming out journey, um, to then be like, so publicly queer, um, and -hmm. sharing that book, it was also really validating for me. Like when people would message me and say they felt validated, there was this, this part of myself that felt more seen and felt more connected to the queer community and, you know, felt more, um, yeah, just valid in my own journey. Um, and so that was, that has been very special to me and I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience. Yeah. I totally understand that. I pulled a line from the term offensive, um, which is the beautiful simplicity of being seen. <laughs> and I just love that because it's, it, it is, it is so simple to be seen, but it's, some, you know, so many of us struggle to see ourselves and for, and to have others see us for who we truly are. And it just, it is, it's beautiful when it, when we're ready for it to happen and it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so t- talk to us about kiss her once for me. I mean, again, I could talk at you for <laughs> hours, but I won't. <laughs> so tell us about, tell us about this, this story. Um, well, like the, the basic premise is it's a sapphic holiday rom-com. So like kind of like a Hallmark Christmas movie, but with queer women, but also nothing like a Hallmark Christmas movie. Um, I uh, had the idea because of one of my favorite romances of all time um, is the movie While You Were Sleeping, Mm. starring Sandra Bullock. Um, And like in that movie, I don't know if the last time you have seen it, but Bill Pullman like looks like the perfect Portland butch lesbian. Like he just wears (laughs) like this like Carhartt jacket and he's like this flannel and he's got like a whole floppy hair thing going on. And um he just looks like a Portland lesbian. Um, and that was kind of like the, the initial thought of this book is like, well, what if I like played around with the tropes of, of while you were sleeping, um, but made the, the Bill Pullman character, um, a Bush lesbian named Jack. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was kind of the, the early inspiration. I love that. I, well, first of all, I also love in like the first paragraph we learn that Ellie went to the Ohio state, um, which is my alma mater. And that was like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> Except I think I just wrote Ohio state. I didn't say the Ohio state, despite my Ohio state research. And, um, I'm yeah. very embarrassed to discover that and to have that in the finished copy. I'm so sorry to everyone who went to the Ohio state. I think I was the one who broke that news to you. <laughs> yeah, you were. Um, I'm so sorry to disrespect I swear I did a ton of research um, and just missed that detail. And and to be fair, I sometimes miss it too when I'm speaking about it and my friends will interject the V for me and I'm like, oh yeah, thank you. So it, it happens to the best of us. Um, the rest of the book makes, <laughs> makes up for the missing V. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Um, so... A couple of things that I wanted to share that I just thought were really profound, but I think are very subtle. And I, and I wonder if people, how many people would notice this and who notices it, which is the first thing was you use they, them pronouns for Jack in describing Jack until we learned from Jack what her pronouns are. And I'm, I'm wondering if that was on purpose and why you did that. Yeah, it was very on purpose. And it was kind of a, it was a complicated decision because it happens in a flashback. Um, So like, as readers, we already know that Jack uses she, her pronouns. um, And that has been solidified, um, both like in the first flashback, which weirdly happens later in the book. Um, But, and and the flashbacks are still told in present tense. Um, And so like, when the flashbacks are happening, um, we are, it's in the immediacy for Ellie who, who narrates the book and it's in first person. And so she is experiencing those flashbacks in real time when we read them. Um, and you know, I work with, um, you know, critique partners, um, who are trans and, um, I have a sensitivity reader and like, we had these conversations, um, very intentionally. It's like, she she can't assume 
that Jack would use she, her pronouns in this scene. Like she should, no one should assume anyway, but like, um, it just didn't make sense. And so, um, that was very much like a, a conscious decision that we made. That I loved and appreciated so deeply. It was, you know, it's one of those things where, um, how do I say this? like I want I don't want to like use the word should because we just said we shouldn't we shouldn't be using should but it's like something that's so affirming that would make lives so much better if that were the norm or like the practice but because it's not when it happens it's like woo like even though it's like such a subtle quote-unquote small thing it's actually huge like I noticed it immediately and was so like grateful that you did that and just I loved that so just thank you thank you for that yeah I'm, I'm glad that it had that impact and again yeah it was a lot of conversations um in, in navigating what that scene would look like as we were getting to see her meet Jack for the very first time yeah and I just I even have a note that says I love how the present and past are woven together I just <laughs> I love the, that it just it's so good to to get those flashbacks and to see their relationship growing. And it's one of those, um, I like to think of myself as a hope, a hopeful romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so deeply want to have like a romance, like the one we witness in kiss her once for me. I don't want to get into all the details, but like <laughs> the first day, right. Their, their date is so, um, magical. It's magical. Did you ever read the book? Oh, no, I forgot what it's called. Let me look on my bookshelf. Um, uh, it's by Emery Lee. Oh, Meet Cute Diary. I have it and I have not read it yet. Okay, so uh. highly recommend. Uh, but I interviewed Em for my podcast. And one of the things that, that Emery said was uh, that like, like, uh, like, ro- like uh, shoot. Now I'm going to, this is a, I am paraphrasing and then now I can't even think of the paraphrase but um like love is attainable magic Mm, and I just love that yeah like I don't know I just love that and I feel like what we witness in watching Ellie and Jack get to know each other is magic and it's just um I think I gaslight myself a lot of like am I feeling these actual feelings can I feel this strongly about someone this Mm -hmm. soon is that real? And I, and it's a, and I know you wrote a fictional book, but like, is it real? Like, can it, can that happen? Mm-hmm. I'm really asking you, can it? Oh, um, I need to know. I, um, so my, my partner and I are about to get married. Um, Congrats. exactly like one year after we officially started dating. So, mm. um, I am not the best, like I clearly, um, you know, I jump in with both feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for me, that was a situation where like, I just knew, um, and it wasn't, we did not fall in love over the course of a magical day. Like we met on hinge. We had like a couple of normal dates. Um, but I still think, um, I don't know. I think it's attainable magic. And so, um, I'm very, very happy in my relationship. I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. Thank you. And I feel like there's like some kind of like U-Haul lesbian joke. Oh, there is. We, there. I mean, we know. Yeah, we're both lesbians. Like <laughs> he moved in. Like we got COVID together like two months after we started dating. And she pretty much moved in with me at that point. Like, so I guess we've been, we know. We know we are cliches. <laughs> right. You know what? Sometimes there's beauty in being a cliche. It's, it's very comfortable there. Yeah. And just, I think, um, I think that it's about that emotional connection too. Um, that just like having that foundation of a really strong emotional connection, um, and getting to places of emotional vulnerability really quickly. Um, yeah. Can kind of change that timeline a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I wonder if, um, I wonder if age has something to do with it too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not young. Um, I like, um, we met when I was 34 and yeah, for me, it was like, 
I know my, you know, despite the fact that it took me a long time to get to this place, like I know myself really well. I know what I'm looking for. I know how to trust my gut. Um, I've got this really amazing therapist that helps me with these, that, you know, like it was all just, Karen. Uh, yeah, always, <laughs> always comes back to Karen. Um, it just really, uh, for me, I think, yeah, I'm just not, and I'm not in a place in my life where I'm like, let's casually date for a while. Um, because yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm settled in my life. And so I think age definitely has something to do with it. Yeah. I find myself for, for me too, on my journey of dating. Um, but I also am like within sometimes even before a first date, I like, I'm like, do you want to have kids? Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to have kids. And so oh, if yeah. my person, if my person, if the person I'm talking to wants them, it's like, this isn't going to, we're already misaligned on a foundational thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I can't imagine having that conversation before meeting someone 10 years ago. Cause it's like, Oh yeah. You know, know, like casual, let's just get to know each other. Let's have fun. And, you know, but now it's like, let's get down to brass tacks before we even spend our $5 on coffee on a date. (laughs) Exactly. I think that was like our, uh, that was a third date or fourth date conversation for us Mm. for sure. So, yeah. Um, another thing I loved about the book, um, was the modeling of consent throughout. I just love that. I feel like we don't get that enough. And so thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, yes, <laughs> I also want to see that in my romance novels. I always find it sexy in romance novels. So yeah, I feel like it's like, it's one of those things again, where it's like, you don't realize it's missing until you see it. Then it's like, ah, this is, this is how it should always have been, which is kind of how I was trying to say it about the pronoun thing. It's like, when yeah. you see it for the, when you finally see it in writing or on screen, it's like, ah, this is how it should have been always. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that should is okay. I think that's an acceptable should. I think you're right too. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had, I had asked you to think about um, a ring of keys moment, like a yes. moment of, of recognition. And before I ask you to share yours, I feel like Jack had one in the book. Yes. Very clearly. I have it highlighted mm-hmm. in my notes. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Um, the really embarrassing thing, there's totally a ring of keys moment, um, in my book that heavily references fun home, which Mm -hmm. is where it comes from. Yeah. And yet I actually wrote that scene and did not put those two pieces together. Um, Mm. and had a friend message me and be like, you have a ring of keys moment here. And I was like, oh yeah. Um, so that was a little bit embarrassing. Um, but incidentally, uh, my, I think as I was turn this over in my head because I, I didn't have a lot of exposure to queer people in media and queer stories growing up. Um, and often I think, um, had this idea of what, um, what a lesbian looks like, um, right. And all of these like societal stereotypes that made it difficult for me to, to see myself, um, in other people. But, when I went and saw the play Fun Home, it came to Portland um, a couple of years ago. So I was 32. I like was kind of in my head knowing that I wasn't straight, but not fully dealing with it. Um, and I saw that that play. And that was the first time I think that I like, I just connected with it so deeply. And I remember like, sitting there throughout the play, just like so enamored with it being like, why am I connecting so deeply to this lesbian coming of age story? Um, and then at the end of the play, just like weeping. Um, and, and the end of the play is sad, but my emotional reaction was completely disproportionate to, uh, to the ending of the play. And, um, I was there with my, my sister and my friend who is queer, um, and a lesbian. And I, I was crying so much. I like, didn't want them to see that I was crying that much because I didn't want them to ask me why, because I didn't know how to, I wasn't ready to, to unpack like that whole moment. Um, but afterward, I think in the car, like my, my friend Leanna was, um, talking about her experience watching that play, um, you know, and seeing this lesbian story and what that meant to her. Um, and I think that was pretty critical in me being like, okay, like, um, I gotta start, I gotta start working through this because this is not a, uh, 
a straight girl's reaction to this play. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that why you chose Fun Home as like the 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 meet cute point? It is. Yeah, I chose to reference Fun Home for that reason. And like I read the graphic novel like either in college or shortly after um, and liked it, but didn't feel that connection to it, I think, because I was not reading it at a time in my life where I was open to seeing myself in that text. Um, So really, for me, it was like very much the play and getting to see that performed. Um, And and what is the song she sings about Joan? Like that. Changing my major. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my goodness. That song. I was like, I'm feeling lots of things right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's yeah. I saw Fun Home. I live in New York City. Yeah. So I got to, I went to see it on Broadway. I think I saw it five times. Um, I like won the lottery a lot and I won a raffle where they like signed, I don't know, a, the, no, I think they, so here's, I met my friend Lauren through Fun Home. She was in Fun Home and I just tweeted at her and was like, hey, want to do my, want to do my live, thank you for coming out show. Um, and at the time she wasn't out. So she's like, I'm, I'm, not queer, but I can also do your show, which is actually how my ally show was created. I was like, well, I want Lauren to still be in the show. How can I make this work? And then she ended up coming out um, within the next like year or so, Um, which is like another example of like art and theater and storytelling being a a way to explore and to find ourselves. Um, But anyways, where was I going with this? Oh, but I saw it five times because it's so powerful. It's so incredible to witness the like the journey and the the you know the painful family dynamics and I don't know it's just in the ring of keys moment I just love I love that in the in the play show um what was I gonna say to you just so spectacular um did you grow up in Portland or outside of Portland I grew up yeah right outside of Portland um and so again you would think like progressive, exposed to queer culture, but um, as a young person, no, not at all. We're close in age. I'm 37, almost 38. And I feel like in our teen years, our growing up, there really was not a lot of representation. Even if we were in, I mean, I was not in a progressive place, but you were, (laughs) but um, there just was no access. And the only access that we had, or I'll speak for myself, the only access I had was like, uh, mostly like cis uh cis queer people like will and grace i'm thinking mm-hmm. um i remember when ellen came out and then her entire career was destroyed like what message is that sending us yeah um and speaking of having reactions in after consuming media have you ever seen the movie um boys don't cry oh no because i literally don't think i could um but i watched oh and now i'm forgetting the name that documentary on Netflix um, where they talked about representations of trans uh, people in media. Disclosure. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, And even the like two seconds I saw of that movie, I like was like literally physically, I could never watch this. It would be too much for me. Yeah, it was. So I watched that. I was with friends, my best friends in high school and we were watching (sighs) it and I was having a similar reaction to you of like crying hysterically and just, they were like, why are you and I was like how are you not how are you not yeah. <laughs> this hard and didn't have the the language or the I started I think in my reaction and and then I remember I rented that movie and like watched it secretly in my room a lot just because I had like just it was even though it was terribly violent and awful and terrible and sad in this person's this is a true story yeah um was like the only representation of transness that I could find, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that, that I could like relate to. And, um, but then remember feeling just absolutely horrified, not horrified, but um, not horrified. Um, terrified is the word I'm mm-hmm. looking for of like, Oh my God, like, is that me? Is that going to be me? Yeah. Um, and just, if I wasn't already like pushing everything down, then that just like, was the nail and I just was like okay that can never this is never going to be me because this is impossible it was impossible it felt impossible that's horribly depressing yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. It is. and just like 
great, great argument for why we need happy queer stories and yeah. queer stories about queer adults thriving and being successful and having joyful lives. Um, but yeah, I, I completely understand because, you know, you're raised also as a young woman, especially like in the nineties and early two thousands that like male attention is like the most crucial, like that is what you should aspire to is like having male attention. Um, and I think for me, um, my understanding was of like, you know, again, horrible stereotypes in the the late nineties that like lesbians were like gross, Mm -hmm. um, and unattractive, um, and that like being that would like, you'd be met with scorn from cis men who were like the arbiters of your coolness, right? Like you wanted them to approve of you. Um, and I think learning to like, yeah, it took a lot of time to, uh, to get away from that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm still like undoing messages from youth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like, yes, I see them popping up and I, th- I started testosterone like two years ago, more than a little bit more than two years ago. So I'm going through a, like another puberty, another mm-hmm. adolescence and how I relate to the world feels different. And what's happening is I feel like I, I sometimes literally feel like a child again and mm-hmm. will like regress to adol- like actual adolescence of what teen years. And it takes a lot of mental energy for me to be like, you're a grown up with tools. <laughs> you mm-hmm. don't have to like regress in this way or like fall into stereotypes that you know aren't good. Yeah. Um, but it's hard. Yeah, it is. But it um one of my favorite authors, Timothy Janowski, um, who wrote Never Been Kissed, and then he has um You're a Mean One, Matthew Prince, which is a Christmas romance coming out or just came out. Um, but he talks a lot about just like, yeah, for queer people, like. Uh, we're just on different developmental timelines mm-hmm. um, and queer and trans people, like all of us, um, you know, I didn't actually really start dating people. I wanted to be dating until I was 33, um, you know? And so in many ways, like I was going through falling in love for the first time, you know, something that we associate with being, you know, 16 or 17 at this totally different stage of my life. And I think, yeah, I think, that's a part of, of the queer experience that is sometimes challenging, but also I think kind of beautiful because we're really liberated from these expectations of what a lifetime line is supposed to look like. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I like, am feeling like I'm in my third adolescence of learning how to like yeah. be, a, be a person and like exactly what you said. And then, for now, it's like my voice cracks, like I'm Peter Brady going through puberty <laughs> and like I have pimples again and learn. So, and so now it's like, for me, it's like learning how to date in my new being sober. Like, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm almost 40 kind of, you know, I'm 37, yeah. but like, you know, I'm closer to 40 than I'm not. And it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and that's yeah. scary to admit, but it's like, it's just true. And I feel like we got to keep talking about it and normalizing that there is no one timeline and we're all just trying to do it, trying to yeah. survive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it is move us into our last session section, um, which is our lightning round of questions meant to be fun, fun and games. The first few seasons, um, I was told my questions were too binary. So now my okay. questions are open-ended, except for one. Okay. Um, just Ready. answer as quick as you can. Again, for fun. Okay. If you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? Oh, my God. Um, Pulchritudinous. And it would be like green. That is a word I discovered means beautiful at some point in my life. And it's the ugliest word I've ever heard. But I'm fascinated by that. So. Oh. I love that. That is what I've just chosen. It's I, <laughs> it's not the color green, but for some reason it would it would be green. Listen, this is your answer. It can be whatever you want it to be. Perfect. Uh, favorite time of day. Oh, first thing in the morning. I am the very morning person. So the earlier, the better. Mm. Favorite current queer media representation. 
Oh my gosh. Love that question. Um, the first thing that pops into my mind is not really current, but I went through just like such a deep obsession with our flag means death. And so mm. like that is still like on my heart as like my favorite queer representation that I consumed probably this year. I loved that show. Oh, so good. And like the slow burn into the full-blown queerness is so good. It's just, yeah, <laughs> I just love it. I love Vico Ortiz a lot. Like I am just, that show is fantastic. So, so good. Um, a song that makes your heart soar. Oh, hmm. um, well, I have to be loyal to my girl Taylor um, mm. because um, I'm a pretty, pretty deeply committed Swifty. Um, and I'm going to say just like classic love story by Taylor Swift, because that, that song can still take me back to, to being younger and you know, driving in the car with friends and, and just all the feelings that come with that. Amazing. Favorite beverage. Um, I drink a lot. Oh, we're not, you can't see me, but I'm holding up the can of LaCroix that has been sitting right next to me this entire podcast. Um, and so right now, yeah, it's, it's my like midday LaCroix. I saw I was, it's key lime. Yeah. This one is yes. Yeah. I love the key lime. I, my partner does not like key lime. So this was me like taking that bullet and mm. being like, I will drink the subpar key lime um, so that she can have the tangerine. That was nice of you. So you also, yeah. you don't like it. Oh, I mean, I like it. Like I, yeah, I honestly like all flavors of LaCroix except limoncello. That's mm. I cannot, I cannot mess with limoncello. That's mm, interesting. I like limoncello, but I can oh, understand. I can understand like a vanilla heaviness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have you had, now we're going to talk about seltzer for a minute. The, like the Waterloo brand is that what it's called? Waterloo. I think it's called Waterloo. And I I was just talking to someone else about it. And I I think I was like, I get intense sometimes. Um, but I was like, how you said it was like vanilla heavy for the lemon or Mm. is that what you said? Vanilla heavy. Yeah. Right. There's like lemon, not limoncello or there's, sorry. Of course there's lemon. There's (laughs) vanilla. There's like a, there's like a heaviness to Waterloo and the way I was describing it was like, it's like thick, but like in a, for me, it's like in a good way. And I'd be interested if you, for you to try a Waterloo. I'm literally going to Trader Joe's right after this. So we'll see if they have it. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll Google it and see if that's actually what it's called. Um, okay. Favorite quote. Oh, like of all time. We're just, these are hard questions. (laughs) I know. the, the, The first one that comes to mind, um, is from the book Red, White, White, Royal Blue, which mm-hmm. is like the first queer romance uh, by Casey McQuiston that I, I ever read. Um, and I have this quote like on my water bottle because it was mm-hmm. also very crucial to my um, coming out. But it's that line where he says, straight people, he thinks, probably don't spend this much time convincing themselves that they're straight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I like read that and I was like, I have never been so called out in my life. Uh, Mm. And so like, I have a sticker like with that on it. Um, I love that. I love that. Okay. Now I have another question. Do all, this is, <laughs> I feel like this is, uh, I'm just going to ask it. Do are, are you friends with all of the other like queer rom-com authors? Like, are you friends uh, with Casey? <laughs> no, I, I wish I'm not that cool. Uh, <laughs> but it's, I mean, romance is a really like, I think beautiful and supportive community of writers. And so um, it is a place where like you can be like friends with a lot of other people, like in your, your profession as they're like spread across the world. Um, and then queer romance is like even smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do like know most of the people within, uh, within queer romance, but Casey is like, like, you know, on a different level. I told my friend yesterday that Casey's my Everest. I was like, I want them on my podcast so bad. Oh my I gosh. just like, it would just be so cool. To have that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just learned, I like posted this on Instagram, um, that they're coming to Portland for Portland book fest, which is like our, our annual book festival. And, um, and so like, I will be going like, not as author Allison, but as like reader and fan girl Allison, um, to like hear them speak. So I'm very excited. I can't wait to hear how that goes. Um, okay. Last question of the lightning round, which is bagels or donuts? Bagels. 
Great. That's the, there are no wrong answers, but that was the right, that was the right answer. (laughs) So good job. Perfect. I mean, I love donuts, but like, um, I'm more of like a dessert donut type person. Like I'd love a donut at like 4 PM. Um, but, uh, not, not in the morning. Yeah, totally. Totally get that. Um, before I close this completely out, I forgot one thing that I wanted to bring us back to, which is, um, every song that you reference in, uh, kiss her once for me. I was like, I love that song. I love a song. I love a song. So I was thinking in my head, I would, I would, what if you made a playlist and then I'm on your website and you have, <laughs> and I'm going through all the like different parts and you literally have playlists for the charm offensive. And so I'm wondering, is there a playlist in the, in our future? Yeah. I have two playlists for kiss her once for me. So I have the, like the overall book playlist, which is mostly Christmas songs and Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> but then I also have a playlist I made um, called Jack's playlist. Yes. Um, Cause Jack like specifically only listens to like female singers from the late nineties and early two thousands. Um, and so I like made a playlist like for myself, just like when I was writing Jack as a character and trying to get to know her better, like listening to that and, and kind of feeling, you know, which I, I think um, comes across as a contradictory part of her personality is this like, um, you know, very charming, roguish, like butch lesbian. Um, but yeah, I plan on sharing that as well. So both of those I, I will share um, as we get closer to the pub. I cannot wait. Um, Allison, this was so nice. Thank you so much for coming oh, on and for thank sharing. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. A true pleasure. Thank you for coming out. Yeah. And thank you for also coming out to, to me and to all of us um, about your demisexuality journey. Yeah. Thanks for holding. Very up. honored. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming out.